We're back for another episode of Advantage Betters, and this time it's the final Grand Slam of 2023, the US Open from the famous Flushing Meadows. Sadly, this week we can't be joined by Drew and continue this terrific trio we've got going on. He's He said he's currently flying up in the air somewhere to somewhere probably exotic or fancy, knowing him. But we do have the ever-present Dan Weston right here. Hi, hi Dan. Um, are you ready for uh, this US Open? I certainly am, although I think I'd rather be in Drew's shoes right now, jetting off to some <laughs> paradise island or something like that. How the rich must live. <laughs> exactly. He, he, he loves those tropical-looking shirts as well, so I can imagine he's, yeah. he's got them on, sipping some pina colada or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most likely. <laughs> if he listens to this, I um, hope he cracks up. Um if we obviously we're here to look at the US Open, um, we've had the three majors quite in a short space of time. This felt like it obviously comes a little bit later on into August, obviously back end of August. Um, if we just sort of have some reflections, obviously, as the grass court season ended with that fantastic Alcaraz v Djokovic match, which we said we'd love to see, but we weren't exactly sure. But it did come about and didn't li- and lived up to all our expectations. What have you seen? Because there's been some like sort of, did they play a little bit of clay court as well? Yeah, but only really some small clay events, which mm. were like, focusing on the yeah the out and out clay quarters who were just trying to cram in some last minute clay action to try and get some some extra ranking points before mm. the oh, okay. uh, the drought comes to the next six months, rather than um rather than being anything major. And naturally, I'm not massive fan of that little bit of clay court season after the um. Uh, we wouldn't. I think that they should just get it all done before and then move straight on to hardcore. And if you can't complete on hardcore, then you just have to go and get better. It's as simple as that. So, so, so my main focus really has been on those um, uh, warm-up tournaments for the US Open, particularly um, in Toronto and, and Cincinnati last week. Um, now, now I think that those are giving us quite a good guide as to wh- where the players are at right now in terms of their preparations for, for two weeks in New York uh, and given me some some thoughts on on the marketplace right now and, 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 and which players might be worth following over, well, certainly over the draw, which is going to take place obviously later on this week, but um, also the um, tournament itself. Yeah, so we are coming off the back of obviously Cincinnati and then the, uh, the Canadian Open, um, both on the WTA and the ATP tour side. So you obviously touched on it there. What, what has sort of piqued your interest and of, of maybe those two tournaments specifically or any sort of considerations come, mm. come, come your way? So let's start off with the men's first, I think. Um, I think primarily what, what we've found is that the lot of players are very capable of being in trouble, which is not necessarily a dynamic that we've always had in men's tennis. But I think now we're... We're seeing it, and actually, um, the likes of of, of Medvedev or a, a Sitsipas or Rude are not nearly guaranteed to make the latter stages of a tournament at the moment in a hard court, hard court series. Mm. Now, um, potentially, that gives us some scope to look at some fu- uh, future quarter winners when 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 the draw is made. You know, guys like. Taylor Fritz, Herbert Hercats, Alex de Menor, bigger prices in the outright market. But but actually coming into it with a fairly decent form line, 
and in this world where they're like four or five times the price of other other sort of second tier players could could uh, quite conceivably make a run in the US Open. I think the other thing as well is that I'm now sure on Djokovic over Alcaraz's favourite. Um, mm. Not just because of yesterday. I think it's it's really important not to put too much weight into one one particular match in one tournament. But yeah. the weighting of the numbers from this last week in Cincinnati, where, where Djokovic only dropped one set in the final, obviously, to Alcaraz, whereas Alcaraz dropped a set in, in every other every other match, yeah. every match he played in, and yeah. two against Djokovic in the final. And then he could easily have gone out early doors in, in Toronto to Hercatchi as a set and set down and won two tie breaks in a row. And then lost to Tommy Paul in the quarterfinals. They got the revenge over Paul last week in Cincinnati, but it wasn't easy. And it just feels like at the moment that he's functional rather than dominant. Whereas Djokovic looks much more dominant right now. And I think in a world where playing a lot of tennis early in a Grand Slam, losing sets, going to five, maybe four, long four setter or something like that. It's not great for, for, a, for a top player to do that. Don't want to expend too much early energy. Mm. A routine win is, is much more preferable. Uh, and I think that Djokovic now is, is certainly with his serve numbers this year on, on hard court, have, have really shown that I think he's a warranted favourite for this tournament. And it's sort of... Djokovic obviously open about taking a bit of time off the court after that Wimbledon final and 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 obviously managing how his workload is and sort of his mm. schedule and then you've got Alcaraz who's obviously a 20 year old just come off the back of that uh, the win and so he seems like he's playing most tournaments under the sun at the moment as well and uh, mm. that, that's obviously that a uh, consideration now I suppose where Djokovic's got that experience he can sort of laser focus and and sort of get the job done although I, it kind of probably could have gone. Did it go tie breaks in two of, two of those three sets yesterday, didn't it? So, and those are fine margins, but I do feel that Djokovic um, is, is probably at a higher level than anyone for like sort of workload management before a Grand Slam. Yeah. Definitely very aware of the dangers of overplaying, which which have seen. Players do talk the other top ten players like Sitsipas, for example, often have overplayed before Grand Slam, which doesn't do them many favours. But interestingly, I looked at the um, the draw for Winston Salem, which starts tonight, last warm up event, uh, and Borna Chorich is the first first seed, and so there's no no one in the top fifteen of of my market that that is in Winston Salem. So players maybe they've got the memo finally, and they're going to uh, having a week off, which I think yeah. is probably needed in a lot of cases. Just the one thing I wanted to else I wanted to talk about from off the back of this is sort of like maybe any there'll be any sort of like similar conditions that, that they've played in now that they'll they'll that they'll play in, in Flush and Meadows and, and would that come into consideration at all? Sort of maybe the, the way the courts are gonna play or sort of maybe humidity and things like that. Yeah, so I think that's a bit different to, to what we might have found at the, at the French Open where um warm up tournaments in something for example in Madrid were were really unrealistic in terms of learning too much about them in t- uh, because the conditions are completely different, played altitude than, than they would have been in, in Paris, um, the French Open. So the warm-up events were, perhaps had a little bit less relevance in terms of form lines and, and understanding player, players' current level. Um, 
here I think it's a little bit more relevant because there's not really been any out of the ordinary fast or slow warm-up events or, or, or the actual tournament upcoming in itself is the same. So I actually think we can put a little bit more faith in, in these warm-up events and understanding where players are as opposed to, say, for example, before the French Open. And you can say the same probably for Wimbledon too. You know, there's there's some really fast events like Queen's and there's some slower events as well, some of the ones in Europe. So actually, actually, there's a um, mixed bag in terms of pre, pre-tournaments in in on clay and on grass, but I don't think we've got that so much here. There's one thing just, uh, you know, we might not have many strong opinions on this, but it's something that we t- I just spoke to you about before we started recording was just about sort of the US Open said the late night matches are here to stay and obviously it's, it's massive for the, 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 the crowd either in the stadium or watching at home. Those those late night matches have been famous for, for years and years. Um, obviously, had a, we've had a few players sort of come out and talk about the schedule Um they're not really happy with how, how it is at the moment. Do you mm-hmm. sort of any, have any strong opinions on that or anything um, you feel in terms of maybe like the player welfare or if they just need to sort of get over it? Well, I think the key word is adaptation. So you've got, you know, people analysing the these matches are going to have to adapt to, to understand if a player's coming off a long match in the early hours of the morning and then has to play perhaps back it up a day and a half's time or something like that, what are the implications of that? So you've got to have those extra considerations. But I also think that the players have to adapt as well. And, you know, this is supposed to be the biggest challenge in sport, Grand Slam tennis, you know, men's tennis in particular, with seven best of five sets matches potentially. Mm. Um, It's it's a physical challenge. And and you are going to get scenarios where, where perhaps the scheduling is not kind to you. Now, my biggest bugbear probably over the years is that the scheduling has been inconsistent. So you often find some of the bigger names might get preferential treatment. And I don't think that's fair. I think that, that and, and I can understand why they do it because TV revenue and stuff, they want to make sure that play, certain players are on at prime time and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but ultimately they've got a big advantage with the seeding system already. They don't need further advantage in terms of their match timings as well. Um, so again, it's, it's up to the players to adapt. This is a survival of the fittest, basically. And if if you can't adapt to to playing playing a you know inconvenient times, then you're probably going to fall short. Mm, fair enough. So it's just uh, especially maybe it's like uh, players that you know maybe new to the tour and things like that. They they just need to get used to it. Just, yeah, as you say, adapt is the key word there. If we then sort of just focus then on the uh, the tournaments themselves and um, and what could be in terms of obviously we've got the outright market now and the the draw will come in the next few days. Um, if I, th- I think I read there's there's there was six former champions on the ATP side. I I, th- I think I saw Alcaraz, Medvedev, Djokovic, Vavrinka, Murray, and Chilic. If that's, mm. if I'm not wrong, that that's what I found out anyway. There might be another one, but. <laughs> Um, well, you can forget about the last three. You don't have to worry yeah, about them. Yeah, well, that, I was going to say, yeah, there, there's some like in our, in our previous pod where we said, can we just um, ignore? <laughs> and yeah, even Medvedev now, that's another story about his, his sort of form coming into it. But um, mm. yeah, that, that sort of question is like, who, who do you reckon is coming into the tournament in sort of good form? And it's going to be very hard, but but could gatecrash that Alcaraz-Jokovic yeah. stronghold? 
Obviously, Djokovic is is one we've already mentioned. I think that um, you could probably say that Yannick Sinner is coming into the tournament in decent shape, uh, beating Alex de Menor in the final of Toronto um, to win the title. Although there's a couple of caveats. Um, first of all, he didn't face a single top 10 opponent in winning that title, which is extremely rare for a Masters tournament. And again, backs up what I was saying earlier about a lot of players beating each other and uh, and opening draws up for, for players a lot of the time. Um, he lost in Cincinnati in his opener, probably pretty tired. I, I don't think there's much to see here. But but so, he, so he's probably one player who I think actually uh, can push, a, certainly very much push a Medvedev. Um, probably be decent dog against Alcaraz, but would have a chance. And I think would probably be not have enough, not have enough to to, to really push. Push Djokovic, unless he has a really off day. Djokovic has a really off day. But I think Sin is someone who's coming in with a good form. Um, I think if you're looking at players further down the market, Taylor Fritz with a hard court title in Atlanta at the end yeah. of July, albeit against again weak, weak opposition. Um, I think again, he has someone to find against the top players though. Absolutely outclassed by Djokovic in Cincinnati recently as well. So, so again, um, Someone who maybe could sneak into the semi-finals with a with a with a, with a good draw, uh, maybe um, some some a player who's worth looking at as a quarter winner, and I think a couple of others who you're looking at as a quarter winner. Hubert Hakats got a really good form line actually. Semi-final last week in Cincinnati, and he's actually lost against Alcaraz in the last two tournaments in deciding sets. So he's not losing against poor players. Let, yeah. let, let, that's be that's a fact. Of, yeah. So if he if he gets a kind of draw. Um, might be one to look at, uh, and I think the Menor as well. But again, maybe that's just that that nagging doubt that I have about against the top players. Mm. Um, final though in Los Cabos, final in Toronto. Probably pretty tired last week when he lost to Monfils, but again, we can we can kind of excuse him that a little bit. His form line's pretty good. Um, as far as that, that that's really my main my main focus. I I, I think there's certainly some players that I'm fairly keen to if not draw a line through or some of them I will draw a line through some of them I'll be be pretty skeptical about their chances um so that's enabled me to kind of identify those guys as well as as um, some of the players who I think might might be able to push on to that sort of quarterfinal semi-final type of position yeah I, I saw Fritz said that he has to care less in a sort of jo- jovial jokingly way that um, that yeah, that Atlanta title. He he was saying he didn't he didn't care as much about the result and he, and, he, and he's winning. Whereas, especially if you saw that break that break point, um, which I, uh, on Netflix, it did seem that he puts a lot of pressure on himself any time he plays in the US, especially. If, just just moving on that, that was something the question I was going to ask was, was sort of about like the the US contingent. You mentioned Fritz. Tommy Paul was someone that we, we you touched on there, obviously, um, with the Al- Alcaraz in the last few weeks. And I was I was having a look and some people were trying to throw his name in the mix as well, was going late. And obviously had um, Tiafo who got semi, was it semi-finals last year? Uh, I mean, yes, there's a couple of those guys. I mean, Tommy, Tommy Paul has obviously got a pretty good form line himself in terms of those really competitive matches against Alcaraz and then just generally he seems to be, be playing pretty decent tennis this year. Um, certainly, I think there are worse players in that sort of heavy underdog range than, than Paul. And, you know, he, he could easily get to, say, a quarterfinal or something like that without that much imagination. 
I actually kind of feel a bit less positive on TFO, just primarily because while he's had a fairly decent year overall, he's lost three of his last four, all his three rats favourite, and his hardcore wins this sort of last the you know the last few who have been against pretty limited opposition. So I think I, I worry a little bit about him and I think the the price I think last time I checked on Pinnacle it was forty fours roughly for TFO. Um it just seems very, very short when you compare compare the fact that you can get almost double that on Dominor in the same price um on her catch who 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 really does have a better form line right now. Yeah you've got um just going down here you've got uh yeah, Tommy Paul's at 80, 87s. And, uh, yes, double the price of Tiafo, right? Yeah, her, yeah, cash. he's come into 44s now. But, mm. um, yeah, you did see there's a little bit of um, chopping and changing since um, the Cincinnati just come. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's very true. Um, and then we've also got, like, someone like, I don't know how good Chris Eubanks is going to be from a... US perspective, obviously, he he, he said himself mm. he was a, he's more of a hard court player. Suddenly, does performs miracles on grass, but I'm not sure how he's been playing. Yeah, I think guys like Chris Eubanks and Ben Shelton um, from America. I think for me, their biggest hope probably right now is to to pick up an underdog win against a top ten player. Um, but they on in an isolated match, if they can serve really well, it's definitely possible. They'll create a really high variance match with, with tie breaks and, and very few break chances, and and that's that's definitely something that could happen. Um, as far as as the latter stages go, I think they're going to be struggling because they're going to play far too many sets early on in the tournament. They're not going to beat players easily, mm. uh, and and the fact that they're high variance players is good for them when they're an underdog, but it's not great for them when they're favourite because it's still going to be joint. They're the, they're the victims in that scenario. So I just don't see it for them too. Yeah. Uh, what have you sort of made of um, Alex, Alex Vera? So in the last few months, he's sort of, he's had, he's had a mm. few try, try to come back obviously from, from his serious injuries, but mm. how have you sort of seen him over the last few months? Okay. So, so in the, Preparation that I do for for the, this pod, I, I make notes on most of the contenders and stuff. And um, the the key fourth words sentence that I wrote for for Zverev is higher gear to find, and he hasn't at the moment shown that. You know, but when did abs- the last time he he was in that? Probably pre injury. I I haven't seen it much since then. Um, certainly not nearly as consistently as he showed it before. Um, He'll be positive about his performance in Cincinnati, beating Medvedev, mm. pushing Djokovic, although although didn't get the job done. Uh, but then the you flip side of his is the absolute thrashing he had in Toronto uh, against Davidovic for Kina. So it's still that inconsistency. It's still, I think, against the best players. As I say, he's got something to find. And I'm not sure he's got that right now. So, so that for me would be a concern. Mm. Just just having a look uh, down the the list in the outright market here, people we were sort of bring up Andre Rublev and um, Holger Rune as well. Holger Rune always seems to be about sixth, sixth, seventh favourite in most grand mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah, in- so so I think you look those those couple of guys. Um, Rublev I think is pretty much unbackable in grand slams right now um, because what well, the main reason is that he's zero eight in grand slam quarterfinals, uh, and again that shows. 
potential issues in terms of um, uh, fitness and in terms of finding in the extra extra gear again to, to test the best players. Maybe his ceiling is not quite high enough. And uh, going into this tournament specifically, he's lost his last three matches to players outside the top fifty. So so he's coming in with no form whatsoever. Um, so so yeah, he might make quarters if he has a nice draw, but then if he plays someone who's better than him in the quarterfinals, I expect the uh, the script will be the same as it has been before. Mm. Um, with regards to Rita, um, I haven't really seen a lot of him on hard court in terms of his, you know, the upside and the aptitude that he's shown on other surfaces. It's particularly Clay. Um, lost to Giron in Toronto, retired last time out in Cincinnati. So for me, he's actually a line, a player who I draw a line through. Mm. Uh, there's just, I have not seen a high level from him on hard court. Mm. Uh, and as fitness doubts too, I think that I mean, I, 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 to be honest, Charlie, that twenty-eight ish, I wouldn't even back with your money. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't be getting any of my money, mate. You don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. And then you've got um, that's the thing. It was so Clay Court was definitely his strongest because I think it was, it was his only real first run on grass as well, wasn't it? At Wimbledon. Mm. Yeah. Um, so. You've got to realise, maybe because Alcaraz is so good at his age, they're at the same age, aren't they? And Runa's obviously mm. a good player, but just learning to play on all those surfaces at a consistent level over that long period of time, I suppose. It's tough. It can take years. Yeah. Or, or, ne- or you can't, do- you never master it at all. Yeah. So, um, you obviously mentioned a few players. Uh, was there any other, like, sort of, out- before us, or maybe just we just talk about maybe Alcaraz and, and, and Djokovic a little bit more mm. in detail? Any other players that you just you just feel is, is worth keeping an eye on over the um, death over down that market, but maybe with longer odds undervalued, maybe some that's undervalued. I think I think the guys that I mentioned primarily are going to be my the the, the, the main focus in terms of my thoughts. Mm. Um, you know the, the the three potential players that can get towards the quarters and semi-finals, Sinner, and then I think I think Djokovic is actually. Actually, not that bad a price at all as as, as not slightly odds against favourite. We mentioned Tommy Paul earlier, someone with a yeah. fair ceiling. Um, I mean, it's it's absolutely laughable that he's a bigger price than than Chris Eubanks and Jack Draper, who's basically yeah. just come back from a really long term injury, and, and Vavrinka, who's kind of Shikori. I mean, like the, you would never have oh, yeah. someone who has paid Paul a bigger price than those guys is. Yeah, and then you've got. Uh, some players at like you know triple digit prices, but none of them really inspire me. A guy like David Fakina has a really high ceiling, but is no way consistent enough to get to the latter stages. Um, and some I've young seen, players. I've seen him play really good matches, and then he sort of yeah. throws, throws in the towel on another one. Yeah, and you've got some young players like Arthur Fies and uh, Lorenzo Mazzetti who who have talent, but but are not near. Good enough to get to the semi-finals, also of this of this tournament right now. Yeah. I'm not saying they can't in the future. Uh, so, and a feast probably again is of a more of a clay court persuasion at the moment as well. So, we, we in in the market that that, that top four is 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 Sinner at twelves, uh, just under thirteen. Medvedev is at eight point six two, and then you got. Before Djokovic's uh, victory yesterday, Alcaraz was favourite, and now Djokovic has leapt to the top. Only just Carlos is at two two point five five. Novak now is at two point two three. You obviously mentioned it a little bit at right at the start, but it's obviously a 
not much to separate them at all. But what do you think could be that? Do you expect that to be the final? If it's been on the draw, I suppose. But, yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to be in the opposite sides of the draw because yeah. their first and second seed, or second and first seed, if you look at Djokovic as the tournament favourite versus Alcaraz, who's going to be first seed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, ultimately I think it's pretty difficult to to see anything but uh, as a starting point. But I look at Djokovic, I mean, he, last year on hardcore, he's won 6% more points on serve than, than Alcaraz. I mean, there's, there's a huge advantage. And mm. um, similar return data. So actually, for me, I, I would I would much rather be on on Djokovic at prices than Alcaraz. Now, this is not saying at all that that, that Alcaraz is is not going to win this tournament. But I don't think that the odds represent the accurate chances of winning. I mean, I, I think they should be more towards that, that three and a half four mm. range. So that two fifty five, I think, is plenty short enough. If, if you're favouring Djokovic, is is that more? Yeah, yeah as you say the price, but is there something maybe, uh, whether it's on the court or off the court, that he will have that little deciding edge, the deciding factor that, that could see him win it? I suppose you look at La- uh, the Cincinnati final as well, where he, he edged that on, on hard court. He obviously seemed like mm. a, he, did, he wanted that slight revenge as well. But mm. is there something you saw that you think that he's, he's, he's maybe locked in and he's, he's not going to relinquish this one? Yeah, possibly a couple of intangibles. Um, mm. Stuff like the fact that Djokovic has been there, seen there, done it so many times before uh, and has that kind of edge on experience. Um, recent history, the win in Cincinnati is is fresh. Mm. Um, but but probably in, as much as anything else, I think that sort of, there's just the imperious fitness levels and conditioning that Djokovic has compared to everybody else. I mean, mm. 37 years old, I think he's now, and it's just, it just doesn't, doesn't look any worse than what he was 10 years ago. Mm. Just before we um, move to the WTA side of things, is there anyone else you wanted to mention? I know we said Medvedev is, is, is a former US Open winner. He's not mm. had the best of times. He hasn't quite found his, his top gear at the moment. Yeah. Do, you, do you think he, he could like get back to Flushing Meadows and it all comes rushing back for him? <laughs> uh, I think at this point in time, I'd probably be rather be on Sinner at prices than the Medvedev right now. Mm, okay. That's slightly your price. Um, if we if we then do move over to the uh, women's the women's side of things and in the outright market, there we'll we'll come to that that big three that's always at the top of the market for us the whole year. Triantek, <laughs> Rybakina, and Sabalenka—they're all there or thereabouts. Um. I was thinking maybe the, the the greatest challenge might come from Jess Pagula, but um, where do you mm. what do you see? Obviously, Coco Goff as well. I just won two first what five hundred and one thousand events because the last few the last few episodes we sort of faded Coco Goff a bit here, but mm-hmm. she has now maybe maybe this is the uh, mentality wise this, this this is where she might come through. But uh, well, yeah, what what are your thoughts on those? Yeah. Okay. So I look at the the top five in the marketplace. Obviously, the players that you've mentioned, uh, and I'm I'm actually probably I actually think that if you take Rybakina out of that, she retired last time out in Cincinnati, and there's this kind of su- su- continual fitness question marks around her. And if you take her out, and you have the other four, I'm I'm 
actually reasonably confident that the winner will come from one of those four players. Um, So, Swiatek, what we we know is the best player on tour by a long way. Yeah, she's lost semi-finals in both of these big hardcore events, but but that can happen in in sport. Um, And ultimately, stats-wise, she's by far the best player on return on tour, winning over 50% return points in in the last year on Harcourt uh, and has a has a good serve as well. So um, I think that she's clearly the favourite for this tournament and, and and you could possibly even make a case for her being slightly shorter priced in, in, in this. And I'm sure she would have been if she'd have done one a couple of matches in those warm-up events. Um, yeah. And Sablanka's form's a little bit of a worry, but I think she's pretty tough to beat in these... Um, in these uh, Grand Slam tournaments, uh, particularly sort of, you know, there's 20, 30 ranked players against her, I would say would would, would come up short. Um, if, he, if he run recent tournaments, a couple of losses as a 1.5-ish favourite. So so uh, that's not great, but I think that, that she'll be fine coming into this. Rebecca and I we just spoke about um, golf is is such an interesting one because as you obviously rightly mentioned before, we've always talked about fading home grand slams. And I think that, that, that at that time that was extremely reasonable to do so and, and we were obviously right in, in doing that too. Yeah. And, and I think it's really important here to make a, a clear difference between pl- a player's current ability and their future potential because while, while I think... Both, I want to speak for Drew, but I'm pretty sure that we had a similar opinion on 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 golf in terms of where she was at currently when we've done previous previous podcasts. Uh, and at that point, she wasn't a contender for a Grand Slam, but that wasn't that's not to say that she was never going to be. It was just that she wasn't in our in my well, certainly in my opinion at that point in time. Uh, and statistically, she was she looked extremely uh, compared to stats versus hype was just completely different mm-hmm. and, and again like I say that's not, that's not saying that she's never going to be one or she's never going to be a top player it just meant that she wasn't going to value in the market at that, at that current point in time yeah. but what we have seen is is now a, st- a, a beginning of this actually show us your medals kind of thing and she's done that so title in Washington against good opposition without dropping a set title in Cincinnati being Sviatek and McCover. These are good wins. These are really good wins. And these these winning two titles recently against good quality opposition, could this be her breakthrough? Could this be a maiden slam? It's definitely possible. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be opposing her. And it's interesting to know that, you know, she's I think 11 at the moment. My, uh, she's not actually been that much bigger in a lot of other grand slams in the past when she was, she was nowhere. So, um, actually, yeah, if you if you if you're backing up fifteens and stuff for the last two years, then then you've probably got a better bet now at elevens. Um, and Pegula obviously won in Montreal, beat Golf, beat Swiatek, beat Samsonova. Probably a bit tired last week. Again, like we said with the men's players earlier, you can you can you can understand that. Yeah. Maybe the motivation's not quite there to have another long week before 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 a Grand Slam, which you, again you can understand. So yeah, she's she's certainly a contender too. So uh, that covers really the top five in the market. And I say I'm pretty pretty surprised if the winner doesn't come from from that. Mm. Yeah, to be fair, 
on, on that golf when you were saying about it, I think we've always said in the last like two years I've been doing the podcast that she had she'll be the, she has that potential there. But mm. as you say, we can only look on on her performances and and what the stats say. And she wasn't there quite yet then. Did Absolutely. You see, did you see anything in terms of maybe the, 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 those stats and and things from those last two tournament wins that maybe a little bit different and why she could come through this time? So, so she's, she's generally just on an upward trend in terms of the statistical profile. Uh, probably put about three-ish percent on, um, her combined service and return points one percentage over the last year compared to, to, to maybe where she was at the Australian Open. Um, it, it would be, yeah, she's going to have to play really well to win a tournament. Maybe the draw might have to open up for a, a Swiss tech, for example, to get knocked out early if they're in the, the same half of the draw. But it's definitely possible, and and she's on an upward curve, and 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 it's important to always recognise a player who's really improving and uh, and mark them out as a danger, a danger player in the field. Yeah, I'm just looking down a little bit further. Um, Jabur is there. She made the Wimbledon final, made two finals, lost those two finals that she's been in. Don't know. Mm. She, she's very reflective. I saw her some quotes from her now saying. You know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Whereas, um, which, you know, it may, maybe, I don't know if that's going to help her or hinder her, but um, it'll be interesting to see how she performs. Uh, you've got Marketa Vundrasova, who, what was it, won the one Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Karolina Makova, who was in that in that Cincy final. Um, yes. Against Coco Goff. Um from that little, from from that maybe that little issue, we've got, and then on sort of twenty sixes, uh, you got Kuda Matova and Samson over there, huh. um, and then Mira and Driva, who we said, I remember you said last time she was she uh, the book the traders were scared of her, and that's why she was uh, she she was priced up the way she was. Um, do you expect those sort of players to maybe then be be the ones that knock out one of those top four seeds? Well, I think I think the Eagles probably say that people are scared of Andreva even now. I mean, mm. um, she's priced up at what thirty one uh, yeah. on Pinnacle, uh, yeah. uh, and she hasn't played any of the August Masters events. She's only played one hard court match in the last mm. year on the main tour. So we're really guessing at, at her level, and but she has a really high ceiling. So you can understand why people are a little bit cautious and defensive about her pricing because mm. because we don't really know what we're going to get, and and and. Yep, she's got a very, very high ceiling. And so is Samsonova as well, um, who's a player that that I really like the look of, but at the moment I think is still a little bit too inconsistent to to, to win a major tournament. Um, you know, in Montreal, she beat right back in her. She beat Ben, she beat Sabalenka, got to the final, lost one and one and love to, to Pegula. <laughs> and so, like, that's what you get with her right now. And I think that that's a bit of inconsistency. Um, but she's young, she's talented. She'll work it out, I'm sure. Um, and I think both of those players have got a really good good opportunity to be a future Grand Slam winner, for sure. As for the, the other sort of more established players that you mentioned, Jabir, I mean, you can say you make peace with losing Grand Slam finals, but I'm sure it's, it hurts. And I'm sure, that as, as as with Rublev um, in the men's 0-8 quarterfinals, Rublev, um, there is a significant mental hurdle that you do have to overcome. Uh, and Jabir's taken it pretty easy since Wimbledon. Played Cincinnati last week. It's the only tournament she's played in since Wimbledon. Um, 
lost the Southern Anchorage quarters. Um, I don't even think that Harcourt is really her best surface, so she's actually on my kind of fade list. Okay. Um, Sova, um, I think, definitely has the the upside to go far here, coming through Wimbledon. Um, lost against Gorf and Swiatek in the last two major tournaments, the last two, yeah, the August Harcourt tournaments. And I mean, that's it's not a disgrace in any way, shape, or form. You know, mm-hmm. players can capably beat each other. And uh, stats-wise, particularly on return, she impresses on hard court. So I actually think that she's probably the next best out of those top, the, okay. the top, the top players in in the marketplace. Yeah. Makova out of form after the after she reached the final of the French Open until she got to Cincinnati final. Uh, I think she's probably got a little bit too much to find here. Um, I, I think the price is pretty accurate. On her, I, I, I don't really have a, a major view either way here. Um, Kuda Matova, though I do, I think she's probably uh, another one to draw a line through. Um, she's lost three of her last four matches. She's had a lot of fitness problems. She injured in, got injured in Berlin in June, hasn't played much since, and lost to Venus Williams last week in oh, Cincinnati wow, okay. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a huge favourite pre-match. Um, so... Form line is not there for her whatsoever. So, so she's probably a line through, uh, and and then obviously we, from though following those players, we've got sort of more of the long shots in the market. There's only one there that um, were, are, are sort of un, undervalued here, <laughs> overpriced, or are they rightfully in that sort of forties, fifties uh, range? Well, I feel, I feel like I feel a bit like Drew here because I remember he had this sort of, sort of line through list last year. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Where, where and uh, I feel like pretty brutal the- like that as well. Actually, <laughs> guys, um, it's Kretschkova, um has only played once since she picked up an injury at Wimbledon. That was a mm. uh, really mediocre loss last week against Azarenka. Um, Garcia has now got four defeats in a row and just hasn't inspired last year compared to like, the red hot finish. Last season, um, Sakari final in Washington is to golf, but lost to Collins in Montreal and McCover in Cincinnati. And again, is that that sort of Zverev type player who I feel like really does have a lot to find against the best? Yeah. Um, had a fitness problems, injured at Wimbledon, struggled since. Collins, uh, actually had to qualify in Montreal, got to the quarterfinals, but did beat Svitolina and Sakari, but. Uh, lost to Sviatek at three and then got smashed last week by her in, in Cincinnati as well. Again, too much to find. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Svitolina, um, we won a semi-final, but hasn't, hasn't played a great deal since. Got to quarterfinals in Washington and lost in the first round in Montreal. Um, hard court stats don't inspire. Madison Keys, we know she can play well. We know she's yeah. got a great serve. We know she can take players out of the draw. But we also know that she's always an injury doubt and, and, and gave a walk over it in Montreal and lost to Elise Mertens in Cincinnati. So 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 there's those problems for her. And Andre Eskew as well. Um struggled in, in grass warm-up events before Wimbledon and there's now three in a row, including against players like Kostiuk and, and Georgie. So so those players I think you're really stretching to think that they're gonna make the final, for example, or, or win this tournament. There's usually one player that does come through um, out of those sort of longer range prices. Could be a Benchich, but again, she's been inconsistent. Um, 
and and, and it's tough really I, I do I do think that you're looking at maybe some younger players but who are who are who are potentially able to to get through to that that next stage um but there's not many of them Fruvatova and Moskova are players who I think a lot of people rate highly but but again it's that inconsistency that I would worry about with players like that we've spoken about with Samson over as well mm. we always sort of pick out Ostapenko sometimes as well with her big serve and she can upset some of the big players as well but then she then sometimes she she gets to a certain stage and she can she can't get over that 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 hurdle there as well yeah um, and that's why yeah. I sort of see her sort of always at these forties and fifty range as well at the moment in the last few yeah uh, majors that we've been doing that's right and there's also some sort of established or sort of bigger name players out in that long range pricing as well I mean again I wouldn't back Caroline Wozniak at sixties with your money um I mean she she was never she was never able to really get the job done in slams at her peak let alone after a few years retirement uh, and Muguruza at hundreds hasn't really played much either for for a good while too. Um, maybe she won't even play here. I don't know. Uh, Sophia Kenin hundreds as well, and uh, it's just not inspiring whatsoever. So yeah, there's a, f- a few other sort of random players there that don't really attract my attention either. So yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the outright market really for the women. Yeah, that market there. In terms of that, obviously you said the five, and maybe if you're joining a line through Rybakina, are those top? Five so is, is hard court sort of where they play, find their best form or um, um, other services. I wouldn't really say that they're hard court specialists. I would maybe you could say a little bit more for for someone like a Pegula. Um but I think that they're you know they're competent on all courts and, and that's why they're highly ranked. That's why they're players who are consistently towards at least top, especially the top three in the market consistently at the top of the market right now yeah. in these Grand Slam events. Um, because they're just really good players, and you know there aren't really quite so many surface specialists in, in women's tennis as there are in men's, um, and so there are some, but 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 it's probably not quite as pronounced. So um, no, they're just they're just very good players. So you, you sort of say Sriante should be the, the favourite by by that margin? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean she's she's got so much credit in the bank in terms of previous performances and. And uh, data as well. You could even make a pretty solid case for her being shorter than this price. And I'm sure she would have been if she'd have won one of the warm-up events. Is uh, in terms of sort of what our uh, what our betters should sort of consider for maybe just across both both tournaments right now in terms of just um, mm. look at, look looking at the form or just anything in particular that you feel like you should you want to so impart your knowledge on <laughs> uh, as we obviously we've got we've got those string of a few tournaments like you said the Winston Salem and then for the WTA you got in Cleveland and in Chicago before Flushing mm. Meadows takes takes shape. Um what should they be looking for in terms of in, in the next week or so then? So these these tournaments the week before a slam are so tricky. You often get some pretty random winners. Um because players' motivations for entering them are often often quite variable. So some players, some of the bigger players might be just saying, okay, well, didn't really play a great deal in, in, in uh, Toronto, Cincinnati. So just fancy a couple of matches here, just to, just to get a couple of wins under my belt. And then, and then I'm not going to be too bothered if I lose in like, the quarterfinals or something like yeah. that. Um, uh, and certainly there's this 
continued argument that overplaying in these this week before Grand Slam is is not a positive. So I think players are generally pretty cognizant of that. Uh, and yeah, you know, there's probably no one in the Winston Salem draw that you would think, well, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna really threaten at the U.S. Open, but they still have yeah. to work out whether a a a good performance in this warm up event is is worth it if it comes at the cost of of struggling fatigue wise yeah, in the yeah, first yeah, couple of rounds of France number against worst players when they can probably earn more money and earn more ranking points if they get would get a few wins under their belt. Mm-hmm. So actually, yeah, these tournaments are so variable. As you said, you say what your top sort of ten contenders in the in the men's side aren't going to be playing in this tournament coming no. up. So no. you obviously see where their heads are, and maybe yeah, maybe it's one for our betters to sort of. You don't need to keep as close eye on this in terms of what might happen for the US Open as as a, oh, certainly not certainly not at all. Yeah. It'll just be for injuries and stuff like that mm. in the, the individual match. Yeah, 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 for sure. Just before we we sort of round up, then just. Any other things that you that's that's been on your mind that we haven't discussed here? Any final thoughts, things to consider? Um, I don't think so, really. I think I actually feel like I'm pretty certain of my my positions or thoughts on on players right now. And I always do think that that having that sort of draw through list is is pretty important. We've spoken about those players quite a lot, uh, and we're almost like you're slicing up the market a little bit in terms of finding actually. Who are the realistic contenders? Who can we look to get uh, value out of or, or oppose? Uh, and uh, just generally, I think that, yeah, it seems for me clear, about five five main contenders in the women's yeah. uh, and probably not that many more in the men's either. But one thing I do like, I like with both tournaments right now is I feel that they're the both, apart from maybe the ultimate elite players right now, Djokovic and, and Alcaraz in the men's and the Swiatek, in the women's, most players are, are, are very capable of beating each other, and we've seen that in these warm-up events recently as well. Mm. So on a given day, um, there can be shocks or s- surprise results or however you want to spin it. There, there, there's no guarantees right now, whereas I think 10 years ago, <laughs> you're looking at it and you could pretty much predict who was going to make the quarterfinals and be, be, be pretty happy with those predictions. You can't do that right now. Mm. Well, that is a very good way to sort of so end things off then. Um, thanks a lot, Dan. Appreciate that. We uh, got got through some good stuff there. Um, you will have your US Open uh, betting preview articles that will be coming this week on our betting yep. resources page. So I'm sure there'll be a, uh, not too many surprises if you if you listen to this. But um, yeah, it'll be good to to sort of read that from your perspective and and sort of obviously in the lead up. Um, consume, consume that as well. Um, just on other, other side, other side of things that uh, Pinnacle are bringing out, we've got um, uh, the European Soccer continues. So we've got our EPL Insights podcast uh, out this week, and also our Bolt Impact Bundesliga and Serie A predictions from uh, our very own Dr. Patrick May. So as I say, thanks to Dan for sharing his plays and predictions and and, and all his thoughts. And thanks to you guys for listening. And we hope the US Open is a profitable one. Thank you very much. Take care.